have you begun to think about your absence, your departure? Uh, Miss Catherine, who finished the words of that song, kind of, hey, there's a time when we're going to be headed home. Um, and I, I want you to think about that some today. I know it's a somber moment, but that's kind of where we're going to arrive in Acts chapter 20. Again, we've been uh, spent several weeks walking through this chapter. It's a very rich chapter, a chapter that's very rich in my life. If you were here, we walked through verse 24. It was kind of a, um, a culminating verse of saying this is what my life's going to be committed to, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ and denying myself. And um, I struggle with that, that, that struggle every day. Um, but this morning, I, I'm excited um, to, to bring this word to you simply because maybe you have questions like this. Have you ever wondered about what's going to happen to your children or grandchildren when you're gone? you ever wonder that? Maybe you're here today and you've been concerned, like, well, what's going to happen with the church? Like, not only this church, but like the church is like Christianity throughout America and throughout the world. Like, I mean, maybe you're concerned about that. Like, where is it headed? Maybe you've been here at some point and um, you're wondering, like, hey, listen, my time to die is drawing closer. I realize that my life has less now than it did at the beginning. And um, as Paul says, our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. But you're realizing that life for you is indeed fleeting. It is a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. You are a flower that's quickly fading. The Scripture would use those different analogies. And maybe you're wondering, so what should I be sharing? What should I be talking with my loved ones, my family, maybe co-workers about in light of the fact that my life will soon be at an end? Maybe you're here and you're suffering. Maybe you've suffered at some point or you are or someone you love and care about is in the midst of suffering. And you've had that moment of, how do I deal with suffering? Those are just some of the, the, the questions I hope and pray that this text will answer for you and I or provide clarity or at least a starting point on your journey of dealing with some of these moments in life. And so, again, we've been with Paul. Um, literally, you see the ship there. Uh, Paul is going to, at the end of verse 38 today, he's going to board the ship and leave, all right? And, and in the midst of this, there's a great struggle going on. He's telling them, guys, this is the last time that you're going to see my face. And there's great sorrow and heartache over that. And um, he's preparing them. These are some of his final words as he begins to leave. And he's, doc- he's speaking specifically to the leadership from the church at Ephesus. So let's walk with Paul just for a few moments here as he begins to share his final goodbyes. Again, the text from last week will pick up so you just kind of get some little more context and uh, we'll, we'll leap forth. Verse 29 of Acts 20, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now. And now, Paul says, listen, there is an and now moment. Listen, guys, I'm leaving. Remember, prisons and afflictions await me. I want you guys to remember that for three years, night and day, I did not cease to admonish everyone with tears. Guys, don't forget how I taught you in public, but also from house to house. Guys, you're never going to see my face again. And now. What would you do in that moment? And maybe you've been there. You've had those and now moments. Maybe with a dying parent or grandparent at the bedside or someone that you love and care about. I mean, where those moments were fleeting, you realize there's a, this is an and now moment. This is a precious moment. There won't be many more of this. This moment is fleeting quickly. God, what do we do in this moment to make the most of it that doesn't pass us by? Right? I mean, God, my kids are only in for a season. My family's only together at Thanksgiving. God, I don't want to let this Thanksgiving pass and me not say that. I mean, this is an and now moment. 
So what will the great apostle Paul do? Well, in verse 32 of Acts 20, he says, And now I commend you to God. The New Living Translation, I believe, says, And now I entrust you to God. Most other translations, depending on what you're looking at today, use the word commend. Literally, it indicates a setting before. It's kind of a compound word saying, literally, I am setting you before God. I think this is a message of hope for parents, for grandparents, for others as you love, as you labor in this vineyard of the world and you share the gospel with your friends, with family, with co-workers. You come to a place of realizing, God, if I could just open their eyes, you've got to realize that Paul says, listen, I can't make it, but I entrust you to God. I commend you to Him. That's what Paul says. He says, guys, I'm leaving. I'm entrusting you to God. Paul is, I believe, following the greatest example we have of entrusting ourselves to God. And it's in Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, it is Friday. Thursday night, Christ has been betrayed. And throughout the night and early morning hours, there's been a bit of a trial. Um, pretty scandalous trial. His accusers are, are not many and they can't even get their words, their testimonies to agree. But the moment that he declares to be the Son of God, everything indeed in that time begins to change. He says, I am. So it's Friday. Friday in Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross. And we pick up just for a moment this brief, this brief snippet of the text. It says, it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And literally some of you, that's where you are. It feels like there is darkness over your entire life right now. Over the whole land of your life, everywhere you look, there's darkness. The sun's light had failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Matthew records that Jesus, sometime here previously, had declared from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the question that you and I have to answer, and I believe Paul is answering for us in this moment of now I commit you or I entrust you to God, is that Jesus is in the midst of darkness, experiencing God's wrath, His judgment of sin. He's cried out, God, where are you? And in this moment, I believe Jesus sets the most beautiful example of trusting God in the midst of the darkest times of your life. Look what he does. Look at this beautiful statement. Verse 46 of Luke 23. Then Jesus calls out with a loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He says, God, you are worthy to be trusted in the dark. You can entrust your babies, your grandchildren, your family, your friends. You can entrust them in the darkest hours of your life and the darkest hours of their life that are coming, even when you may not be present. Jesus sets this example. Father, into your hands I commit, I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. In the book of Job, we read in the 13th chapter, Job, who has lost all ten of his children, all of his livestock. Um, in fact, his own body is being ravished with disease and sickness. He comes to Job chapter 13, verse 15, and says these words, Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. In the midst. Right? I mean, that's where Paul is. And now I commend you to God and His grace. And now I entrust you to God. Why? Because I realize you're going to face dark moments. The wolves are coming. I won't be here. But there is a God who is worthy of being trusted, who is worthy of being praised even in the darkest of times. 
Paul is there. Paul furthermore goes on. This isn't just a snippet of moment in life for Paul. He is going to further continue this, this montage of saying, listen, we must continue to impel others to entrust themselves to God and the word of his grace. Why? We read of it in moments like 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You can see the picture there is Keltner. Um, with some of his Haitian guys this week. I don't know if you knew about it, but some of the folks from our church have been out. And they've been in Haiti these past two weeks and um, involved there this past week, especially Jason and some others of leading a pastor's conference and they're training ministers there in Haiti. They're living out 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and Paul's command in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to the Word of God and His grace. Why? Because Jason's just going to be there for a week. He's back here now. That's why we entrust them to God and pour into them the Word of God. To realize we can't always be there. We won't always be present. But there is a God who will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? There is a God who is faithful. So Paul says, listen guys, I commend you to God. But not only to God. He says, listen, I want you to know it's not just simply just God, this theoretical in a sense. He said, I want you to realize I'm, I'm commending you guys. I'm entrusting you to the Word of His grace. You see, God, you can't separate God from the Word of His grace. Christ says, I am the Word that became flesh. If you've ever wondered, what does the Word look like? I wish I could just see some of these pages come alive. Look to Christ in the cross. Christ is the living Word. He's the Word that became flesh and made His dwelling among us, John 1 and 14. And so He says, listen, I commend you guys to God and the Word of His grace. I commit you to God and His kindness. I commit you to God and His patience, His long-suffering, His peace, His gentleness, His mercy, His love that never fails. Joshua seemed to be doing something similar. Joshua has come to the end. He was Moses' protege, so to speak. And he had followed and his time comes to an end. And he comes to that statement in Joshua chapter 24 that maybe many of you know. And he stands before the people of Israel and he says, Choose this day whom you will what? Serve. He said, Whether the gods that our forefathers served beyond on the Jordan or those in the land that we are in now. He says, But as for me and my house, we're going to what? Serve the Lord. Joshua says, listen, guys, I'm entrusting you guys. You've got to remain faithful. I'm leaving. I'm heading out. So it was with David when he spoke to Solomon there in 1 Kings chapter 2. David says that my time is now drawn near, verse 1. And then a few moments later, David tells his young son Solomon, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Now, you may be trying to push that aside or try to pretend like it's not real. But David says there is a way in which all the earth are headed and it is toward death. And so David compels his son. He says, listen, Solomon, when I'm gone, stay faithful to the Word of God. His commands and the things that God has set before us. Seek His face. That's what Paul's doing. So it was with Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, we hear of the old prophet Samuel who says that I am now old and gray. And then he warns the people there a little later in the text. He says, listen, guys, when I'm gone, don't turn aside after empty things. Don't turn aside after empty things. See, I'm compelling some of you today. This needs to be some of the conversation, whether it's around the lunch table today or at some point, you need to begin having these conversations with children, grandchildren, co-workers, family, friends. 
You need to begin compelling them. Now listen, we've got to remember though, if we're going to say these words with our lips, they're going to be looking at our lives. So if your lips are saying one thing and your life's saying something else, they're going to be like, I'm not sure I'm following that. It may be a great place for you to lead in repentance. To say, listen, I'm in need of grace. The same God I'm compelling you toward, listen, I need this word of His grace. Maybe it's the point of this question of saying, well, hey, is that even going to be worth it? Right? Is it going to be worth it if I turn away? I mean, if I leave everything else and I, I, I trust myself to God? I mean, mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, if, if I really believe this and I follow this and I, and I just walk with God in His grace, look what all I'm going to be missing out on. Is it actually going to be worth it? Listen to what he says there. Paul says, I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able. He says this word's able. God is able, guys. I want you to know He is able. So it was in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we meet three young men from the land of Israel who have been deported to the land of Babylon. These guys are Shadrach who? Meshach and Abednego, right? You know them. They stand before the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Neb has made up this great statue. And if you don't worship the statue and fall down and worship it and worship him in essence... He says, listen, I've got a really hot furnace for you and I'll throw you in there. I'll make you a worshiper of me or you'll you'll be ate up. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, these three young men stand before the king and said, O king, we're not going to worship you. There is a God in heaven and He is able. That's what Paul's saying. He's able. There's a God in heaven, and He is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we'll not worship you. He's faithful, right? He's, he's able. That's what they're saying. We, we know this God. He's able. It was with the Jewish people when they had gone to see the promised land, and, and God sent these number of spies, but most of them didn't believe that God was able. But there was two that stood up. What were their names? Do you remember? Joshua and who? Caleb. Right, Bonta? Where's Mark Bonta at? He, he head out on me, hide out. Marky B, you hiding? Oh, somebody got your seat, didn't they? Right? You people are creature of habit usually. His name was Caleb, wasn't it, Ty? And so this Caleb stands up and, and there in the midst of Numbers chapter 13 and says in verse 30, Guys, we can do it. We are able. Why? He says, because he knows that God is able. You see, when we see these words, and now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, we, have to, we can't forget who God is and what he's done, that he is actually able to bring this about. He can do the impossible. So some of you, are you're, you're burdened and you're broken. And listen, I carry those burdens, those brokenness for my family, for people I love and care about. Saying, God, how much longer, God? Why hasn't it happened yet? I just want you and I to remember that God's able. Don't stop praying. Don't stop hoping. Don't stop believing. God is able to do what? Well, look what he says. God is able, he says, to build you up. Now, Paul will sometime later write the letter to the church at Ephesus. Remember, he's speaking to the Ephesian leaders of the church. And he says to them in verse 11, uh, there in Ephesians 4, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. He says, listen, here's the leadership of the church that God has designed, right? So, remember, God, God gave this, right, for the good of the church. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up the body of Christ. 
see, some of us ask, like, why do I need to even be in church? Like, what's the big deal? I don't need it. Why do I need to go to Sunday school? Why do I need that small group? Why do I need to study God's Word on my own? I don't, I'm not sure why. He says, listen, God has equipped and gifted the church and given His Word that you and I would be equipped for the work of ministry, that God's Word would build us up, that God's Word would empower us. What? He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the maturity of the full measure of the Son of God. So you and I need the church, right? I mean, some of us at times I encounter people and they say, well, I don't have to go to church. I watch church on TV or I watch church on my phone or I watch church. I listen, whatever. And Blake, they preach a lot better than you. True that. True that. Right. And I can turn them off whenever I want. True that, too. Right. I guess you can do that in here, too, technically as well. But but listen. Paul says, listen, I've given the church to equip and to build you up. And the reality is that's often hard. Behind that screen. To have that face-to-face interaction. To have that person that pours into you. That person that will put your arm around you and pray. I mean, let's be honest. We can do a lot of things maybe at home. But when's the last time you served somebody at home? Like through that screen. You see, the body of Christ is not only about you being fed. It's about God using you to feed others. Now, you say, well, Blake, what about the sick? The shut-ins? Those that are nursing homes or they can't come? If you've been in this church a long time, you have a great example of what that should look like. I wasn't here and present for it, but Mr. Cowher, who was sick and bedridden for 20-plus years, I was told the story that Ray Acre would go every Monday night for 20-plus years and teach him the Sunday school lesson for that week. So it's not an excuse for the church to say, well, I just hope they get it some other way. No, you and I are the body of Christ, and we are called to go and equip those that are maybe shut in or disabled or in nursing homes or whatever to walk beside them. So just because they can't come to your class anymore or they're not able to come through these walls, I want to compel you, the body of Christ, to go and share God's Word with them. Well, look what else he says to them there. He says, guys, I want to commend you to God and the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Paul's telling them, listen, guys, you've got an inheritance. This word of God's grace, right? This amazing grace about Christ coming to die for sinners. This amazing good news that you can never, ever be good enough. He says, listen, I want you to know that it's an inheritance. You haven't earned it. It's a free gift given to you because of Christ's life, His, His, His death on the cross for you. I want you guys to know there is a beautiful inheritance coming. What is it? He speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. He says there's a new kingdom that's coming and there will be no more death there. No more mourning. No more pain. No more need for the elbow scrape, Miss Catherine. There will be no more heartaches. There will be peace and happiness and joy and contentment and no more sin and no more separation from the people we love and care about. No more dysfunction. No more of our hearts just being so messed up and thinking, God, why did I do that? God, for once and forever, will have sanctified us totally and completely by the power of His amazing grace. He says, I want you to know this is the good news of what's coming. This is church, what we are to teach and preach. We are to believe and know that in trusting people to God and to the word of His grace, that there is a beautiful kingdom coming. There is a Savior who can save and set free, who can give hope and strength. Let's be honest. At the end of the day, does it not feel good to realize that when you and I go, as David said, the way of all the world, 
When we go the way of all the earth and our time is finished, is it not beautiful to know that there's a God here who will still be here? He'll still be here with your kiddos and your grandchildren if time continues, great greats and He'll still be here with that co-worker or that niece or that nephew or, or that friend that you're so burdened for if God continues and allows their lives to continue as well. Right? This God that we are commending and entrusting our family to today, we are pouring into them, God, this is the good news, with our lips from His Word, but also our lives as God does a work through His grace. And we realize that there's nothing greater that we can do than entrust them to the Word of God and the Word of His grace. Why? Because we know the truth. As Fran Crosby penned some 1875. Oh, perfect redemption. The purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! When are you going to rejoice? Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great things He has done. You see, young people, that's why your family has been pouring into you and compelling you to come to God and His Word, to seek His face, to get connected to a local church. Right? Emily and I this morning, we saw a young lady. She's heading off to school next week there at UK. I said, get connected to a local church. Oh man, get connected to a local church. Why? Because we know that in the local church, as the Word of God is faithfully proclaimed and taught, as the grace of God pours forth in the lives of His people, as the Spirit of God works in one another, as we live and exercise our spiritual gifts, that it's there. In those places, in those moments, alongside other believers, that the Word of God's grace becomes alive. He begins to convict. He begins to draw. He begins to speak. Maybe in the midst of those college moments, those wayward moments to the vilest offender who truly believes that moment, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And there's something about being in those moments, hearing those songs. There's something about the Spirit of God awakens in a boy or girl, an old man or old woman. I need that pardon. My vileness. Oh, God, my vileness. Oh, God, I'm unworthy. He says, yes, and that's why I sent my son. You see, that's why mama and daddy, grandma and grandpa have been saying it before. That's why the church today is compelling. That's why Paul is leaving the leadership at Ephesus with this command. Because he knows that God, in the word of His grace, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. So maybe you're here and you say, well, Blake, how might I know if my life is indeed entrusted to God in the word of His grace? Paul finishes maybe with two examples that, that, that were very piercing to me. Um, maybe they will be to you as well. So the question again, how might I know if my life is committed to God and the Word of His grace? Now that's, that's a question with a lot of answers. Okay? But again, from the context today, let's just deal with what Paul's saying here. Paul first compels us, examine your love of money and things. Think about it for a moment. Think about your love of money and the love of things. How do I know if my life is committed to the Word of God and His grace? That's what Paul says, verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Um, I don't know if many of you were here, but if you've been here for um, some season now, then um, there was a former pastor here. His name was Brother Mike Acreage, And um, I, I began serving as student minister under him. And uh, Brother Mike would constantly, I would ask him for advice. And he'd say, well, son, um, two things mainly. Leave the women and the money alone. 
That was continually his advice for me. And listen, we were seeing at that time, and it hasn't changed, pastors fall for both women, money. And so I've done my intentional as much as I can to follow and heed his example of saying, listen, you got money, I don't need it, right? I'm tempted. I know how weak I am. To be drawn after money and the things and the apparel and just the pleasures of this life, I know the weakness of my flesh. And ladies, especially you all that are contemporaries of my own or in that ballpark, I'm not trying to be rude, but a lot of times I don't hang around for tons of conversation. Why? Because I'm trying to be guarded. I know the weakness of my flesh. Now, to my senior adult ladies here, yes, you all, I don't know, again, are you wondering, some of you are wondering, is this me? That's for you to answer, right? But I do want to say this. I love your hugs. Both of my grannies are gone. I love your hugs. And I like the way you smell. A lot of times it's mothballs, but those clothes, listen, baby, they are still in good shape. No, I'm being honest. I don't know about you, but I miss the smell of my grandmother's. Do you miss the smell? Some of you got some grannies that are gone. You miss the smell. You know that smell I'm talking about. I miss it. So again, we talk about it a lot here. Like This is not about a church for young people that we exclude the old. We need one another, do we not? Paul says that, guys. Listen, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And he says in verse 34, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. Paul has continued to say that before us. In fact, Paul will write to Timothy and to Titus, two of the clearest examples we have of what the church should look like in regards to the character of the pastor as they look for men of God that he has raised up. Listen to this refrain. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, he says, The pastor must not be a lover of money. In Titus chapter 1, verse 7, he says, This man must not be greedy for gain. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Why? Because obviously it's an issue. It's repeated throughout, right? And Paul has just set it down here as he leaves the church at Ephesus saying, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know how my own hands work for the necessities, and I even met the needs of others. I want you to know that I am a man tempted toward the things and the riches of this life. So this text is very convicting to me, saying, Blake, are you a lover of money? Are you greedy for gain? Right? I mean, Blake, is that what you're after? So this, this passage and passages throughout the New Testament convict me. It also should provide clarity to the church as you're looking for pastors. Listen, there's going to come a time when I'm going to depart. Whether that's the end of my life or in a few weeks, I have no idea. Only God knows that. There's going to come a time when you're going to depart. The church, as you look, part of the requirement is looking for a man who is not after the money. So Paul says, listen, if you want to know about your life, are you committed to God and the word of His grace? Examine your love of money and things. But secondly, is there a love for others? Demonstrated by your life and your finances. As you look at your life and you begin to wonder, God, am I entrusted? I would ask simply to you, we've been walking this week with River in the midst of James chapter 2. Oh, Emily took a deep breath. She was terrified where I was going. It's challenging as parents sometimes, isn't it? Can I get an amen? How many parents here have been through challenging seasons you survived? Would you raise your hand? Em, turn around and look. We're not alone. Whew, thank you. 
For others that didn't raise your hand, we'll sign your book after the service. You'll be outside. But is there a love for others demonstrated by your life and finances? James chapter 2 reminds us, he says, listen, he talks about the life and all these things about the law. And we're reminded of this refrain that if you love your neighbor as yourself, it fulfills so much. You love God, you love people. He said the law is fulfilled in this. That's why Jesus said there's no greater command in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Love God, love people. So as you look at your life, is there a love for others? Especially dealing with your finances. Wow, look what Paul says. He says, verse 34 again, You yourselves know these hands minister to my necessities and those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. If we're going to really believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive, then we've got to start believing that God has something greater to offer than the world does. Like, if God, I'm going to give away my finances that you have blessed me with, God, if I'm going to do this, then I've got to realize that, God, you have something greater to offer than the world could ever provide for me. God, that you have gifted me, God, how could I not gift to you in return? God, how can I not give to these people, Lord? God, use my heart, Lord. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you experienced that? More than just saying it, I mean, have you, are you living that? Are you living in the midst of this blessedness, this joy, this happiness that God's just using you to give? At the open house this week, Brother Todd and I encountered a gentleman who, who just packed three extra dollars that day. That day at work, someone asked him, said, hey, I need three dollars. And he said, you know what a joy it was just to give that three dollars? He said, we began to share about the love. And he said, I began to tell this man, God, in His grace, He just gave me, He put this money in my pocket today, and I didn't know it was for you, but it's for you. See, sometimes I think we think, oh, well, if i got to give. It's got to be huge and major. Oftentimes it can be $3. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So maybe you're here and you say, Blake, I'm with you, bro. Entrust your family to God and the Word of His grace. Got it. Check, 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 check. I've done that. And my family, my friends, my co-workers, it doesn't seem to be working out. Paul remembers somewhere around the period of A.D. 58. At the time period of about A.D. 95, 96, so about 40 years later, we have another letter written to the church at Ephesus. And we have an expert witness speaking. His name is Jesus. John records this, these words of Christ in Revelation chapter 2. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, again, that's our connection of context. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So what will God do in that moment? Right, God, I mean, you've forsaken it. You've maybe walked away. You're not as committed as you once used to be. Like, what's what's God going to do in that moment? Is it over for you? Look what He says here. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Repent. Return to me. And do the things you did at first. Do you see that? Oftentimes we hear this word repent, so we think it's such a negative word. Repentance there is a word of grace. It's a word in which says, listen, if not, guys, if you don't repent, I will come. But repentance is an opportunity to be restored. It's God saying, I haven't snuffed you out when you've done that. I know you've walked away. I know you've disowned me. I know you've denied what you know is right. But I want you to know I haven't given up on you. Repent 
and return to your first love. A whisper of come home. We've not given up yet. Keep praying, brothers and sisters, for those in your family, those friends, co-workers. Don't give up. Keep offering out that grace of repentance. So when Paul says these things, it says they kneel down and they pray with them all. Prayer and kneeling is a sign of submission. It's not only here in the New Testament, it's throughout the Old Testament. They often would fall on their faces before God, lay just flat on their faces before God. As a sign of submission saying, God, I can't, but you can. God, please, Lord. Notice also before they part, right, in their midst, he prayed with them all. I want to encourage you, and I know there's some moms here. I've heard the testimonies of moms that when you drive your babies to school each day, and some of your babies are growing up, but this is a mom I know that does it even when the baby's growing up. They spend time together in the car praying for each other. I want to compel you, maybe as the school year starts, that, that might be a first step for you, that the people that ride to you in the car, with the car with you, that you begin to pray over them. Maybe they ride the bus or there's other things. And pray before they leave in the morning. Begin, what if families, what if we parted that way before spouses, husbands and wife headed off to work? What if we just spent a few moments just praying together? Right? That's what Paul does. He kneels down and they pray with them all. What if we just began to do that? Maybe you'd say, Blake, I don't see people very often. I, I, I'm pretty much shut in my house. Then great. You maybe talk to people on the phone. What if... This week, before you end that phone call, you'd say, could we just pray together for a moment? You still remain connected. Well, after they kneel down and pray, we have this statement in verse 37 that there was, it says, much weeping on the part of them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Did Paul not teach them very well? Right, that's what I wondered when I read that. Like, did, did Paul not teach them very well? Is this the great Apostle Paul who's talked all about the resurrection and the return of Christ in Corinth and 1 Corinthians 15 and this beautiful passage on the resurrection and our corruptible bodies will be made no longer incorruptible and, and the perishable must put on the imperishable. And, and isn't this Paul who says that like we weep not as the world weeps? Is this not the great Apostle Paul who would write words, words like to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord? I mean, did he not teach them that? Of course he did. But guys, we can't throw band-aids on open wounds. We have this mentality in the church oftentimes, like you shouldn't pray. Or you sh- or, I mean, you shouldn't be torn up about that. Don't cry. Don't weep. Don't weep. You, you should no, be absent for the body's presence of the Lord. It hurts when people die. When people we love and care about, when your children go back to school or back to work, or when your family, you see that things happening. People we love and care about and we're separated from them. It hurts. Let's not deny that. doesn't mean that we've given up on the fact there's a resurrection, there's a new heaven and earth coming, that they're present with the Lord, they're no longer suffering. doesn't mean there's not joy about that, but here's Paul. Look what it says there. On the part of all. I believe Paul was weeping and a part of being sorrowful. Why? Because he loved these people. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. And just realize in these moments, it's an even greater moment to say, God, we've got to entrust them to you and the word of its grace. I'm not going to be there with them. Oh, God. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And Paul's going to sell off. 
And they're going to be left to go back and do life. Some of you are going to be there. People you love and care about, they're going to get in their car, they're going to get, and they're going to. There's going to come times when that grave, and you have to walk away from that gravesite and walk back toward life. Because you can accompany them only so far and realize that, listen, this time has come, a separation. I wonder, will you be ready for that time of separation, of death for you? You see, when you die, mom and dad can't go with you, granny and grandpa can't go with you. Nobody can go with you to stand before God. You're going to sail alone and stand before Him. And I want you to know that there is safe passage for that journey. And it's found only in the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will God be appeased by. Nothing else will satisfy Him when you come to stand before Him. But the blood of His Son, Jesus. Why? Because God is holy, guys. He's perfect. There's no sin in His presence. But in His love, He would send forth His Son for you. That you could stand before Him and be made whole, cleansed, perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ. That we could stand and sing. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Come ye wounded, weak and worn. There's a harbor for the broken where the hopeless are reborn. Come ye lost, afraid, forgotten. Let your wandering souls find rest. At your heart's door He is knocking for you as precious blood was shed. He is able. He is able. Christ is able still to save. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Sing to Him our song of praise. Come ye ransomed and forgiven. Come ye rescued from the grave. Rise and worship Christ our Savior for the glory of His name. In the stillness of the morning, in the quiet of the dawn, Praise will rise as darkness scatters. And the song goes on and on. It shall be my theme and glory to declare of all the wonderful things that God has done. Are you prepared for that passage? Only by the blood of Christ? Brothers and sisters, if this is our last hour together, whether you not return or I not return, then I stand in the presence of God and commend you and trust you, your soul, to Him and to the word of His grace. Are you prepared for that moment? Nothing but the blood of Jesus will prepare you. Do you know that hope and peace that is only found in Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, God, we come. Just as the song says, Lord, poor and needy. Lord God, we have nothing good to offer. Isaiah says our righteousness, our good works, is but filthy rags. Paul says if you could be good enough, then Christ died for nothing. So, Lord, we don't have to be surprised here if we don't feel worthy. None of us are. Only Christ is worthy. So, Lord, I just pray that people today would come to faith and trust in You. Confessing You as their only hope, their only Lord, their only Savior. That in You, they can feel worthy. That in Christ, God, they can have peace. In Christ, Lord, they can have hope. In Christ, oh Lord, would You give them such joy. Father, today... We entrust this church. Praise God, it's not entrusted solely to me. Oh God, Lord, what a mess I would make of such things. Father, what a peace, what a joy for everyone here to know that we can be entrusted to You and the Word of Your grace. Father, let this church be faithful. I pray that we will be a city on a hill.
God, that our light will shine forth to this community, to this world. I pray for brokenness, God, over souls. I pray for brokenness, God, in this place over why do I have these riches, these finances? Why am I here in America? What am I going to do about that? Is it truly more blessed to give than to receive? God, do I believe that? Does my life bear witness to that? God, have I been trying to do some other way other than your way of entrusting my children, my my church to, to you and to the word of your grace? Maybe that's why I'm so worn out, so burdened, so stressed. I'm trying to do it. I can't. God, as much as I want to, I want my boys, God, I want them to see it, but I can't make them, God. I don't have that power. Oh, but God, I entrust them to you and your grace. And as I entrust my boys, I entrust my brothers and sisters here. May people come, the poor and needy, in spirit, that they might be filled in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord, amen. Poor and needy, that's you. That's me. Christ bids you come today. Come. Call out to Him. Be covered by His sacrifice. Moms and dads, grandparents, I want to compel you. Come and lay your burdens down. Bring your children before the throne of God. Say, God, I entrust them to You and the Word of Your grace. God, I entrust that co-worker, that friend. God, to You and the Word of Your grace. Use me however You will, but God, I'm not fit for such things. Only You can do it. Would you stand with us? Would you sing? Would you come as Paul did and kneel and pray?